0: Welcome to episode 95 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we're looking at Leonard Betts, which is X-Files Season 4, Episode 12. IMDb user scores have risen from 8.3 to 8.5 out of 10 since Fox re-aired them. The action primarily takes place in Pennsylvania, and the original air date was January 26th, 1997, immediately following the Super Bowl knowing that you're going to be following the Super Bowl is a big deal for American TV shows. The ratings are huge at that point. In fact, this has the highest Nielsen ratings of any episode of The X-Files. There were about 29.2 million people watching it live in the U.S. alone, let alone the international markets. So the people behind the series wanted to make sure that, first of all, they had top-line talent writing and directing, they wanted to make sure as well that this would be an episode that would be accessible to people who'd never seen the series before, so it's probably going to be a monster of the week, but they also wanted it to feel like it was a big one and important for the people who were viewing it on a regular basis, and they managed to pull that off. So what we have is a cancer-eating mutant, as we eventually learn, that manages to survive decapitation and kills people to keep his secret. He tells victims, you have something I need before carving out their tumors to eat, shedding the outer layers of his body periodically like a snake. Now, for the most part, he is benevolent in the way he obtains these tumors, getting work in the medical field and that sort of thing. So he has access to the tissue after it's been safely removed from the victims. So a lot of the victims would have even survived These are post-operation victims and that sort of thing. Now when they analyze the head he left behind after being decapitated in a car accident they find that he seems to be made of cancer and that's what tips Mulder to the fact that maybe he needs cancer to survive and they chase him they find out he's used a couple of pseudonyms over the years his mother is aware of his situation and that he's still alive but her faith says that you know she believes he's on earth for a reason she also doesn't believe he's actually killed the people he's killed so Her view is biased and lacking all the information that is required to judge things fairly. And then the big ending in the final confrontation, before attacking Agent Scully, he says, you have something I need, which strongly implies that her nighttime nosebleeds are a symptom of cancer. Now, the episode was directed by Kim Manners, written by Vince Gilligan, John Scheiben, and Frank Spotnitz. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know those names. As I said, they wanted to make sure they were bringing their A-game in terms of the production staff. Now, the notable guest stars here are Paul McCrane, who was one of the guards, specifically guard Trout in The Shawshank Redemption. He may be best known as Robert Romano from ER, a series he later joined. He also was in RoboCop, Fame, and a number of other projects. He is still active in the acting community today. Now, Marjorie Lovett, who played the character's mother, has 46 acting credits going up to 2013. She's best known for At Pupil, Tootsie, Miss Congeniality 2, and the 1998 remake of Psycho. Jennifer Clement, who plays his friend in his life as Lettered Betts, and is one of his victims, not for cancer, but just because she's discovered a secret in his new life. She also has 50 credits to her name. She's been in things like Supernatural, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Fido, and she played a fairly prominent role in Way Downtown, which is an independent Canadian film. Shot about three hours from where I live in the city of Calgary. That's, at least I find, quite entertaining. We get Bill Dow back as Chuck Burke. So we've now seen about half of his appearances on the show. And that's about it for the guest cast. At this point, as we've said, X Files is really building its audience. And it's past the point where it's got before they were stars kind of stars. But because it's still shooting in Vancouver, it's not quite yet at the point where it's regularly bringing in existing mainline stars. So that's going to come, and we'll talk about that in a few months' time. But as far as this is concerned, in terms of the long-term story of the X-Files, the main thing here that's going to last, in terms of the big picture, is the reveal, or at least heavy implication, of Scully's cancer. That moment sets up what we're going to be seeing next episode, and what will be confirmed in the episode after that. It all stems from here. Now, as far as the science of the episode is concerned, there are are actually a couple of things to look at. First of all, Mulder was happy to point out that a lot of reptiles can lose limbs, worms can be cut in half and grow into two worms, or doesn't quite work that way with worms, but generally just the the larger half heals into a new worm, but it doesn't matter which half you cut to make that happen, really. But does that set a precedent for humans doing it? As Scully points out, that hasn't been seen in mammals. Well, first of all, the reason that we can't grow things back is that once we're developed, the cell differentiation stops. That's actually a big part of what stem cells do. Stem cells are the cells that can differentiate into other types of cells. So without stem cell research being legal and developing that way, we're probably not going to be able to develop a way for humans to regrow lost limbs, and we are instead going to have to focus on the existing plans to keep going with prosthetics and so forth. But now, assuming that somehow these cancers provide that stem cell functionality that it takes for Leonard Betts to operate without his head, what can a body without a head do? Well, not much. So first of all, the brain doesn't just control the arms and legs, it's the brain that keeps the heart pumping and the lungs breathing. Without the heart and lungs providing fresh oxygen to the brain, we're going to suffer brain death and just force ourselves to stop thinking. On top of that, the body that's running around without the head, even though theoretically it could still be breathing through the stump of the neck, the heart could still be pumping even though there'd be blood loss at the neck, it would have no way to accept sensory input because the eyes, ears, nose, mouth, none of those are connected. So all you've got is the sense of touch, which means that it couldn't react to surroundings without making physical contact with them. So it wouldn't know that there's an orderly in the room in order to sneak up behind him and attack him, as it did here. A human body functioning this well without a head isn't a science fiction concept, not unless you're attaching some sort of replacement technology. This really should have been a magic-based monster, something a little more fantasy, as they've done in other episodes. Now, second, what is cancer? Can we actually have someone whose body is entirely cancer cells? Well, yeah, in a nutshell, cancer is the result of cells growing beyond control, but... That doesn't mean flipping the whole body to cancer is going to solve that problem. What that means is that all the organs would be trying to crowd each other out as they all grow uncontrollably and aren't forming the shapes and restricting themselves to the body cavities like they're supposed to. Even beyond that, the reasons different cells grow at different rates is different for different tissues. So, cancer is actually not a single disease, but hundreds of related diseases. So, you would need something. That would put that cancer into every single type of tissue in the body. Now, because, yes, they all came from stem cells at one point, there was a point where the whole body was one cell, if that cell was cancerous, you might be able to argue that somehow those properties would be carried through the rest of the body. But even if that were the case, well, then you'd have the issues of how did young Leonard Betts, and I'm going to continue calling him Leonard Betts, even though we know that wasn't his birth name, how did he make it to adulthood? if he had to feed off cancers his entire life? What was his source? How did he make it this far in his life? So there's a question about that. Now, as a side note, just responding to things I've been seeing showing up on a lot on social media lately, cancer is not a vitamin B17 deficiency. Does vitamin B17 effectively kill cancer cells? Well, yes, it's a form of cyanide. It effectively kills all cells. To be an effective cancer treatment, whatever compound you're using, has to be much more efficient at killing the cancer cells than it is the healthy cells, like chemotherapy. As rough as that is, the idea is to kill the cancer faster than the rest. Cyanide doesn't discriminate. Cyanide just kills everything, which is why it's not an effective treatment. But at the end of the day, cancer has different causes in different types of tissues, so the mutations you need to create, Leonard, would have to be incredibly complicated. Not to mention all the sets of mutations you need to perceive the surroundings without a head, to somehow seal those blood vessels, so you're not bleeding to death as a body without a head. Not to mention the system it takes for that head to move on its own when it's detached from the body, as it did when Scully was trying to do her autopsy. And this is a good character. It's a very entertaining episode. It's an important episode for the grand scheme of things. But Mulder's hypothesis for how he came to be doesn't work. There have to be some sort of mysticism or some other origin for this character. And since we know that his mother lies about a few things, such as even knowing that her son's alive, it's possible that there's more going on with Leonard than even he realizes. But that's all we have to say about Leonard Betts. Join us again in two weeks' time when we discuss Never Again. In the meantime, don't forget to rate this and any of the shows you listen to on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you use. It really does help the shows get noticed. You can check out our newest podcast, Make Me Watch It, which premiered on Saturday the 14th. Those episodes are available currently through the Bureau 42 Master Audio feed on iTunes and Stitcher. Its own feed is currently pending, but it will be coming out shortly. Please share links to this and any other podcasts that you listen to with friends who you think may enjoy them. It really does help the shows get noticed. And finally, thank you for listening.